All right. So I've been super, super excited for this series that we're getting ready to go into. Uh, the series that we're starting off today is called Journey to the Empty Tomb. And I've been thinking about this series for several weeks and just getting really, really excited about what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about. Um, I believe, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do believe that the Lord ordained and led the last few series that we've been in, and I know that he's moved mightily through some of the studies that we've done together, but I'm so excited to open the word with you this morning and walk through some of the texts, walk through some of the last week of Jesus's uh, earthly ministry, his life on on earth, and we're going to walk through that over the next couple of weeks, and, and it's such a, uh, a fun and amazing thing that we get to do that together. Some call it Holy Week, some call it Passion Week. Uh, whatever you call it, it's, it's Jesus' last week on earth as, um, as a man before uh, we get to Easter, of course, and we'll kind of, it all kind of build toward that and culminate that way. Either way, it's, as of, it's of, of utmost importance to us as believers. Such an incredible week that we're going to study over the next few weeks. And so I want you to be here. I know that we're going to, there's a good chance we won't be able to cover all of it. I mean, the teachings, uh, we probably won't be able to hit all the parables, all the teachings, all the things that Jesus said, all right? But we're going to talk about a lot of the significance of some of the things that Jesus did, all right? We're going to talk about a lot of the significant uh, points in, uh, in this time, over this week, through the chronological order as we walk through it. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the different things that Jesus did, uh, the things that happened, and we're going to get as close as we possibly can to covering all of it. And I encourage you, if we miss something, if we don't get to talk about something, I mean, I'll probably tell you, like, we're going to, you know, we're not going to be able to hit this next week. We're going to jump ahead or, or whatever. Go read it on your own. Go dive into it. Go be a part of it and, and allow the word just to transform you. So it all begins on Palm Sunday. So for all intents and purposes, today is our Palm Sunday. Now, I know really Palm Sunday is a couple weeks from now, so it's confusing. I know. But today is going to be Palm Sunday. We're going to be talking about what that looks like, what that means, how that happened. And if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, that's okay. We'll get to that in a few moments, and we'll kind of give you an explanation of why it's called called. Uh, Palm Sunday. So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to read uh, the whole text. We're going to read the whole passage together, uh, the larger passage that we're going to cover. We're going to read that together, and then we're going to go back and we're going to walk through it. This is uh, a, a style of teaching called like expository or, or exegetical, which is really my passion. Now, I know that there's always uh, a need for topical teaching, there's always an importance and a need for topical teaching where we touch on specific key issues, hot button issues, some things that are needed uh, to be talked about, things that are really impacting us right here, right now, where we are. And, and God has spoken to me tremendously as I've listened to and taught many topical messages, you know, good three to four digestible points, good memorable things to take home that are helpful. Uh, so what we're going to do today is a bit different. I just want to prepare you for what's to come. All right, I want to prepare you for the onslaught of scripture that's going to hit you in a few moments, all right? I want to prepare you for what's going to happen. There's no points this morning, so if you're a note taker, you're probably freaking out for a second. That's okay. You can have a little freak out. That's all right. There's no points. The only points that you're going to get are the points that the Holy Spirit speaks to you as we walk through this text. All right, as you write those things down, as the Holy Spirit speaks into your life, uses the word, the living word of God to, to reach into and touch your heart and to tell you, this is what I want you, child, to know from this text. That's what you're going to get out of it, okay? The points are going to be the prophecy that's fulfilled in the word. The points are going to be the words that Jesus himself spoke. So be ready, be prepared, be expectant for God to speak to you individually through his living word. That's what we're going to do, and that's kind of what this whole series is going to be about. That's how we're going to walk through the next uh, three to four weeks together. And there's, I just want to encourage you, this is so much more than just a book, right? 
This is like the single greatest book ever written. This is the most powerful book in all of history. This book is, is the inerrant, infallible words of God himself as written and recorded throughout his servants in history. This has been the single most transformative book to ever exist on earth. People, people have been willing to, to fight wars over this book, right? People, have, people are willing to die. You understand that people are willing to die just to have a page of this book in some countries, just to have a few pages, a morsel of the scripture. They're willing to die. That's how powerful this book is. People swear on it and people swear at it. Right? It's such a powerful book. Lives have been changed because of this book. People have, are in a part of the kingdom of God because they read this book and they were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life through the living word here, this text. This is the book of the law. This is the Holy Scriptures, the law of the Lord, the word of God, the sword and the spirit, the truth, the word of life, the message. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The church if you didn't bring your Bible with you, it's okay. Yeah, I know we get used to it being on the screen behind us, and we got our phones and all that kind of good stuff. But let me encourage you, change that habit. All right, we put, this, we put the scriptures on the screen here, not as a substitute for the word of God, but just as a convenience for you in case you rushed out of the house this morning grabbing four kids, under two under each arm, and keys in your mouth, and you didn't have any room for the Bible. We get that. All right, we get that. But let me encourage you, there's nothing like having the physical word of God, the sword in your hand, writing on it, marking it up, underlining it, circling it, highlighting it, doing whatever it is, making notes in the corners, drawing doodles on the page, whatever it is you do, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit does in you as you are, are, are in this book, I should encourage you to do that. That's just my two cents, so... Regardless, the passage will be on the screen. That wasn't like a, <laughs> I could have used that as a ploy to say, actually, our computer's broken and we don't have any scripture on the screen, so you should have brought your Bibles. No, uh, it's going to be back there. So uh, if, if it's going to be back there, I encourage you, go ahead and turn to Luke 19. Uh, if you do have your Bibles with you, if you have your phones, if whatever it is you use, go ahead and get to Luke 19. Lay your eyes on that because that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time here in these next few moments. Obviously, there are four Gospels, right? Uh, hopefully many of us know this. If you don't, that's okay. There are four Gospels, and those four Gospels all give an account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and all four of those Gospels also give an account of the death, the, the Passion Week, the Holy Week uh, that we're talking about. So they are, it is in all four Gospels, and in each one has something to say about the last week of Jesus' life, but I felt led to primarily stay in the book of Luke here this morning, and we will jump over, and there will be a little parallel, but... Give me a Luke 19, starting in verse 28. Let me just pray over us one more time. I know we prayed some, but I just feel it prudent to pray now as we open God's word together. God, we thank you so much for your scriptures. For this, this book, even calling it a book seems to give it, give it a name that isn't worthy because this is so much more. Thank you that you give us this text, your words to live by, to go by, to, to better understand who you are, to better understand who we are in you. Thank you, God. And as we open this word this morning, as we read this text, as we read this scripture, as we read some of the very words of Jesus Christ, as we do this together, Holy Spirit, we ask you 
speak to us. Speak into our hearts. Speak into our lives. Speak to us each individually what you would have us to hear. It may be, we may hear something very different from the person right beside us. But God, we want you to speak. May these be your words we hear. Holy Spirit, we give you this time. We invite you to be in this place and to speak now in these next moments. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to be in Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And, uh, yep, there it is right behind me. So here we go. We're going to read the whole passage. It's 20 verses. All right, so, so don't get lost. Stay with me. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's good text, so stay with me. And then we're going to get to the end, and we're going to kind of go back and, and sort of talk about it a little bit. So let's read together, starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, he being Jesus, just so you know some context here. And he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. And he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where... <clears throat> where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, so those uh, who were sent who, who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if, they, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you on every side. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, for, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men, men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words, hanging on his words. Man, what if we did that? What if we really did? What if we hung on every word that Jesus said? We took his scripture and we just, we, we looked at it word by word, line by line, verse by verse, passage by passage, and we just hung on those words. We allowed those words to, to change us, to revolutionize how we actually live this life. Eagerly waiting what he might say to us next. Ready to jot it down. Memorize it. Put it in a notebook. Do something with it. Understand it. How much would that change our lives if we actually viewed Jesus as the rabbi, the teacher that he was, that came to tell us something, to teach us something. View the Bible as our text, and we are his pupils. 
Such an incredible thought. I love, I just love that last phrasing, hanging. The people were hanging on his words. They were just clinging for the next thing he was going to say. What's he going to say next? What's he going to tell me next? I need it. I've got to have it. I need the next word. It's, it's a desire to be in the word of God. Man, how powerful that would be. So I know this is a lot of text. And I hope, I hope that we can cover it all in our time here and our moments that we have left. So bear with me because we might go kind of quickly. Uh, but I want to go back and we're going we're gonna to kind of hit on some of these and we're going to talk about them a little bit and some of the importance uh, that lies therein. So uh, back up to verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount uh, that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. I find two very interesting things here in this passage. First, we see an example of either foreknowledge or prearrangement. When Jesus tells his two disciples to go into the village that's in front of you, we haven't been in that village yet. We're outside the village. I want you two to go into that village. There you will find a colt tied up who's never been ridden on before. All right, so we see the power of Jesus right here. All right, he tells them, this is, you're going to find this. It's there, I promise. Go get it. And he's showing us just a glimpse of his omniscience, the fact that he knows all that he is 100% man and 100% God in that very moment, right? So he's just showing off a little bit of his power in that way. I think the fact that the colt has never been sat on is probably uh, alluding to a little bit of the reference of the, the pure nature of this mission that they're getting ready to go into. But secondly, here's also what I notice. He's so calm. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is closing in on his day of execution. He knows this. He knows where he's going and why he's going there. He knows the end result. He knows the outcome. He knows that in one week's time, he will be dead, brutally murdered. But he's so calm. We're getting ready to embark on the single greatest moment in all of the history of mankind, a pivotal moment in all of humanity. And he's super calm about it, just voluntarily moving along. And he's careful about every detail concerning his entry into the holy city. He's telling his disciples, this is exactly what I want you to do. You're going to go here. You're going to get this. I need exactly this. This is exactly what you say, and, and you come back. I want, I, and I have to wonder, why is he like this? Why is he doing this? And so that scripture might be fulfilled, let's look quickly back at Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's fulfilling prophecy. Fulfilling a 500-year-old scripture in this moment. He's marching to his ultimate death, yet Jesus, our Jesus, cares about the very smallest of details. He wants to make sure that this is exactly right. The most important thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind, and he is making sure that he gets every last detail right. So incredible. Verse 32, so those who were sent away and founded, just as he had told them, and, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of it. I love this. You see, I believe that every verse, every word in the Bible is important. 
All right, I don't believe that there are some sentences or words that made it in by accident. It was, you know, whoops, it's just we kind of accidentally threw it in there. No, this is all important. This is all on purpose. There's nothing that's filler or unimportant. So, so these three verses have to mean something. Now, again, there's foreknowledge at play here because if you notice, what happens is Jesus tells them this is what you're going to do and this is what you're going to say if somebody questions you about what you're going to do. And then exactly what Jesus said happened, right? So it's a little bit of foreknowledge there, a little bit of, uh, of, of God actually telling them this is what's going to go down. Uh, but everything played out exactly as he said. But my takeaway from this passage is this. Obey the Lord. I honestly believe that somebody needs to, to hear that this morning. Obey the Lord. This is a simple, simple example of obedience. There are much more profound examples of obedience in Scripture, but this one, this one's great because Jesus knew what was going to happen, and you know Jesus knows what's going to happen. He foretold, you're going to go into the city, you're going to find this cult, and then if, he knew it was a win, but he said if, if somebody asks you why you're doing it, you're going to tell them the Lord needs it. And then they followed exactly to the letter of what Jesus said. And they went and they got the, the colt and the donkey and they brought them back. I believe that, that God gives us instruction, that he tells us exactly what, what to do, how to do it, how to live. What He gives us a road map. He lays it out before us. They did exactly what Jesus asked them to do, and, and they were blessed to be a part of this incredible redemption story. Because they did what they were told, they allowed the donkey and the colt and the owner to be a part of this incredible redemption story. I don't know what God's telling you this morning. I don't know what he's been trying to tell you for days or weeks or months, but it's time to be obedient to the Lord. I don't know who this is for, but it's time to be obedient. It's time to step out in obedience and follow what the Lord is asking you to do. Because when you do that, when you follow what the Lord is asking you to do, when you're obedient in the Lord, miracles are performed. Prophecies are realized. Blessings are abundant. So what is God asking you to do? Step out and do it. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Don't sit there and ignore the God of all creation. The time to obey is right now. Even in this passage we're reading, Jesus is being obedient to his father. He's, he's following the will of the father. We actually see a little bit later on. We're going to get to this in a few weeks. But there comes a point where he's like, if this can actually happen any other way, please let that happen any other way. But he knows this is the will of the father. And he's being obedient. He's leading by example. So whatever God's asking you to do, step out and obey the Lord. If he's, calling you to, if he's calling you to something, do it. If he's asking you for something, give. If he's leading you somewhere, follow. All right, let's keep rolling. Let's keep rolling. We only have a few more moments. Here we go, 35. And they brought it to Jesus. Uh, they brought the, the, the donkey and, and the colt. Uh, they brought them to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt, and they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. I want to read a parallel to another gospel for just a moment to help you round out the picture of what's happening here. Uh, because, again, like I said, this is, the, these things are accounted in every gospel. Uh, some, some account and highlight different details more than others. And so I want to jump over to Matthew uh, for just a moment. Uh, Matthew is actually the only one that mentions the donkey and the colt. Uh, so I want, to, I want to go over there because it, it has both of them involved. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 7 <clears throat> 
and ate. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put, them, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well. So, this is where the name Palm Sunday comes from. The crowd, all right, there's a crowd around him, all right, it's not just his 12 disciples, it's an entire multitude, it's a crowd of people, all right, he's, he's, he's got all of these people around him, some are followers, some are fans, some are just nosy onlookers, not really that much different than in a, in a typical church today, to be honest, uh, so he's got all of these people around him, and, and they are laying palm fronds, they're laying down palm branches on the ground before him on everywhere that he's going to walk, everywhere that the, the colt is going to step with Jesus on his back, they lay those things down, you see, the laying down the cloaks signified, it, it was significant because it basically was telling everybody that, hey, we recognize you, Jesus, as our king. So they're taking the clothes off their back and they're actually laying them down on the ground. You know, just like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know why this was a thing, but I guess you always see it in the movies where a guy takes off his jacket and lays it over a puddle and ruins a perfectly good ja jacket when somebody could just walk around it. I don't know. But that's what's happening. All right. So they're laying all their stuff down because they recognize you are the king all right. Now they're also laying down these palm branches. The palm branches is more of a symbol of national pride, Jewish nationalism. The palm branch, palm branch is a, is a common symbol all around the Jewish culture. It's on currency. It's used as decor. So I guess uh, to help you think about it, if, if Jesus were to come to South Carolina and, and we were to, you know, do the same thing for him, we would probably take some, you know, palmetto branches and we would lay those palmetto branches down on the ground. Because if you think about it, that's like the big thing here in South Carolina. Everybody knows that a palmetto branch is significant to South Carolinians. You know, when you go all the way back to uh, its significance uh, in repelling cannon fire and everything else that it supposedly did and everything that's and why it's important to us there, there's this whole thing and so we know that the palmetto leaf is important same thing that's happening here they're laying this down because they have pride in who they are it's a symbol of the culture and their identity for the united states i don't know it might be like eagle feathers or something <laughs> i couldn't draw a parallel though i was trying i was really trying this idea of nationalism, nationalism is important. I'm going to bring it back up in just a second. Let's keep reading. As he was drawing near, we're in verse 37 now. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. All right, so they're still on approach to the city. They haven't made it there yet. The crowds are gathered all around. They're chanting. They're singing. They're praising. I want to catch back up with Matthew's gospel for just a second. We're going to flip back over to Matthew 29, or 21, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All right, I'll read you Matthew's account because that word Hosanna is so important. They took this word Hosanna, which means save or save us, we pray. They took that and they turned it into an exclamation of praise and celebration. See, in their minds, they believed that deliverance was at hand and they went wild with excitement. They wanted to be saved and delivered, but from the Romans. They wanted Jesus to defeat the Romans and drive them out of Israel. They had a plan for their deliverance, but that was not the actual plan for deliverance. What they didn't realize is that Jesus was coming to deliver them for so much more. 
They wanted freedom from their oppressors, from their situations, from their lot in life. They wanted deliverance in the form of a strong earthly king. Instead, they got deliverance. They got deliverance, but it came in the form of an all-powerful, universal king that just so happened to create the earth and all that's in it and rules on high with justice and sovereignty and love. They actually received deliverance from that king. You see, Jesus goes so much further than simply delivering us from our circumstances. Church, how short-sighted are we that that's all we focus on, all we think about is how God's going to deliver us from our specific individual life situations and circumstances right now. Whenever God says, I came to deliver you from so much more, so much more. Jesus delivers us from our sin while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, took on the penalty and the shame of all of our sins on himself so that we could have freedom. He bought freedom for us when he defeated the grave, when he conquered death, whenever he died on Good Friday, and when he rose again three days later on Easter Sunday, he bought our freedom. While we were enemies of God, he bought our freedom. While we were trapped in sin, he bought our freedom. While we were captured by pornography, he bought our freedom. While we were sucked into illegal substances, he bought our freedom. While we were living in an adulterous relationship, he bought our freedom. While we were mad and angry all the time, he bought our freedom. While we hated people, hated life, he bought our freedom. While we were ensnared by the love of money, he bought our freedom. While we were sitting in a jail cell, he bought our freedom. While we were deadbeat parent, he bought our freedom. While we were entranced by all that the world has to offer, our God, Jesus Christ, bought our freedom. Jesus delivered, all right? He delivered because he reached down while we were in the muck and the mire, and he pulled us up, all right? He took us out of that situation. He took us out of that life in life. He took what was a destinance for us and he tore it up. He bought us with a price, church. And that price was his earthly, brutal death. And there was no greater love than this, than a man would lay down his life for his, for his brother. That's what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. The blood spilled at Calvary is the atonement for our sins. The price for our sins was paid in full by the precious blood of Jesus. And because of that, we can have a life we can have it to the fullest. We can have it more abundantly. We can have it for eternity with him in heaven. If we would only turn to him, realize that we cannot save ourselves, and we are in need of Hosanna. Save us. A savior. We can trust in him. We can believe in him. We can surrender to him. And it's then that we experience deliverance. Come on, church. This is our gospel. Y'all get me preaching up in here starting to sweat. All right. This is our gospel. This is why he came. This is what he did. This is why it's so important. This is why this week is so crucial. So our hero, all right, I'm out of time. Here we go. So our hero, our savior, our blessed redeemer is coming to the city. All right. He's moving toward the city. And this event, of course, is called the triumphal entry. All right. Some Bible translations even title this passage. If you have your Bible there, it may say the triumphal entry. Uh, into the city. Some, some Bible translations have that. And you can see why. He had all the makings of a great and amazing victory parade, right? People lined the streets, shouting their praises to God. They followed behind Jesus. They went ahead of Jesus. They declared the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one who they had come to set them free. They were seeing the word of God actually being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. So the people rejoiced with great zeal. They were excited. They laid down their cloaks on the ground for him. They laid down palm branches. They just chopped them right off of trees and put them on the ground in honor of the man who rode in their midst. And yet while all the people around him celebrated and praised God, the one 
who was at the heart of what was taking place. Jesus Christ himself was doing something different. He responded very differently. Let's keep reading Luke 19.38. Actually, we skipped something. Let's backtrack. Uh, two verses we skipped. Verse 39. Um, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You know, there's always going to be somebody in the crowd that's trying to squash the excitement of God, right? There's always going to be somebody out there that's trying to, we talked about this in the series uh, that we did a few months back on, on God-sized dreams. And we talked about how you're going to have some naysayers in your life. You're going to have some people that are going to try to cut you down. Some people that are going to try to tell you that God's not going to do what God says he's going to do. That you got to rely on yourself, believe in yourself, take care of your own dreams. Uh, don't dream too big. Don't, don't aim too high. You know, let's keep it moderate. Let's keep it under. And so we, we're always going to have those kind of people in our lives. We're going to have those people around us, some negative Nancys that are raining on Jesus's parade right? We don't give them the time of day because that's what Jesus didn't really give them, that his response to their efforts was so great. If they don't praise me, hey, hey, Jesus, won't you tell you, won't you rebuke your disciples? Won't you rebuke the people around you for the things they're saying? And Jesus said, you know, if they don't sing my praises, the rocks will cry out my praises because I created them. All of this, everything you see, I created. All of creation groans because of my, cre my love, right? So he's, he's just, he could be foreshadowing when Peter's silent and there's, there's this thought that maybe he's foreshadowing when Peter, Peter's silent a little bit later on and denies Christ before the crucifixion. And then after Jesus died, the earth actually shook and the rocks actually cried out from, from shaking and that kind of idea. But, but, but you know what? It doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that there's gonna be naysayers. There's gonna be people that are gonna try to tell you that God is not who God says he is. And you know in your heart of hearts that God is every bit of who he says he is. And we are every bit of who he says we are in him. All right, so let's, uh, let's push on. Verse 41, he drew near and saw the city, and he wept over it. So you see, they're coming down the Mount of Olives, and the, to the east of, of the city, they're coming down the Mount of Olives, and he can look out, and he can just basically see the whole city laying, you know, before him. It says, Jesus wept over it. He said, uh, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that, that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Hearts can be hardened. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade all around you. They'll surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What a contrast celebration. I mean, I'm picturing confetti in the streets, right? We went to, um, Jen and I, we've done New, New Year's Eve in New York City on Times Time Square, and it is a, I would never do it again, but I'm kind of glad I did it once. Uh, we also got engaged, so that was kind of important, but uh, but I, I'm picturing like like just the excitement. The I mean, there's there's just the, whenever you're in a crowd and everybody's excited, it's it's contagious, right? It just catches on. You're like, wow, yeah, we're you know, you go to a football game or whatever, and it's just it's just contagious. You start feeding on each other. Like, man, they're really excited. and They're really excited, and I wasn't excited, but now I'm really excited because everybody else is excited. So we're you know we're in the streets and there's there's confetti raining down and there's music blaring. This is what I picture as he's entering into the city. There's just crowds following and they're yelling and they're chanting and they're screaming and they're praising and they're laying down everything they have and it's, it's an amazing time. But Jesus was weeping. 
while the majority of those around him celebrated, Jesus wept. His tears in the middle of all this happiness, it just seems so out of place. And I think that should cause us to ask why. Why is he crying? Why, why is Jesus weeping? Why would Jesus weep while others rejoiced? Why would he shed tears of sorrow while others are praising and, and being boisterous and excited? What was Jesus looking to find that day but maybe didn't? And here's the bigger question. Is it possible that as people in our day, in our church, in our community, that even as we worship and praise and celebrate that Jesus still weeps? And to answer that question, I think we have to understand just what it was that day that broke the heart of the Son of God. If we look back to verse 38, we see uh, that the people were praising God. Uh, they were shouting out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and what they're actually doing is they're quoting from a phrase in the book of, the book of Psalms. So keep your place in Luke. If you want to turn over with me, we're going to just finish up in uh, Psalms 118. This again going to be on the screen behind me. This is what we call a messianic psalm, all right? It's a psalm that, uh, that, that is not only describing something that happened in the time that it was written, but it's also something uh, that really is a prophetic aspect to it as well. It really points toward the coming Messiah. So this is a messianic psalm. And, and so what's happening, Jesus, uh, he's going to come, he's going to deliver his people, and this psalm is really pointing to that. So let's start reading. This is what they're, they're actually quoting from. Uh, so let's, let's read this uh, starting in verse 19. Psalm 118, verse 19. And see if you can't help but see these words being fulfilled. Look at these words through the lens of Jesus Christ fulfilling them, okay? Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Who is the gate of righteousness? Jesus. Through whom may the righteous enter? Jesus. Who has become our salvation? Jesus. Who is the stone that the builders rejected? Jesus. This is a messianic psalm, and Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day. The people were making a connection. Uh, at this point, they were making a connection that which was to come and what has been and what is happening right now, all right? They were kind of, it was all working together. They were seeing, okay, this is what the Psalms meant. This is what Psalm 118 meant. This is, the, I'm seeing it happen right now where it's happening, it's gonna happen in the future and it's happening right now. And so they cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus wept and he wept because I think he knew. He knew that many of these that cried out to him he knew that many of these people that, that cried out in the name of the Lord would ultimately reject the truth of God in favor of the lies of man. He wept because he knew many were followers, onlookers, fans. Not many of them were actually bought into what he was doing. What was the truth they rejected? They rejected the truth of the suffering Savior. It just didn't fit into their plans. 
It didn't make sense. They rejected the truth of the servant king. That didn't fit into their, in, into their thoughts and ideas of what the coming king and Messiah would look like. Not a servant. We want a king on high. They rejected the truth of the crucified Lord. It didn't fit into their understanding of, of what God was doing. Yet it was all there for them to see. Right in front of them. They had only had eyes to see and ears to hear. So Jesus wept. Jesus wept knowing many of them would not know him. Church, I believe Jesus is weeping still today. Because there are people, even in churches across this city, across this community, that ultimately will reject the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Like this crowd that traveled with Jesus, they were fans of his. They liked some of his ideas. They didn't mind being around other like-minded people. All right, they, they, they liked some of his teachings, but ultimately they would reject him. Because you see, the same crowds that praise God on this day and who honor Jesus as their king would cry out for his crucifixion just, just four or five short days later. When push came to shove, they said it was too much, too hard to stand with Christ. Odds are that there are people in this theater right now that are fans of Jesus you're, you're a fan of church, you're a fan of Jesus, you're a fan of music, you're a fan of a cultural experience. But if push came to shove, Jesus might not really fit into your little box, into your happy life. You see, many of us, I believe, are good with a Sunday-only Jesus. All right, we're good with a, uh, a Sunday-only Jesus. We're not good with the, with the Lord of my life every single day, Jesus. We're okay with a few verses from the Bible on Sundays, but we're not about to let the word of God penetrate our hearts, our lives, our souls on a daily basis. We believe that there's probably a God, but there's no urgency to pursue that. We'll get to that later. Church, I think this is what makes Jesus weep. we've been reading about him today he was beginning his journey to the cross and ultimately his journey to the empty tomb he was getting ready to die to suffer brutally at the hands of man to be tortured and murdered to be betrayed by the one he loved to be hung as a spectacle for all to see you see these things are about to happen and Jesus knows this he still voluntarily went willingly and you know what was on his mind We were what was on his mind. He knew that some would come, and unfortunately some wouldn't. And that bothered him, that he was distraught. In the midst of celebration, a triumphal entry, Jesus was weeping. He was weeping over all those who will never accept the blood that was about to be spilt those that will never truly experience deliverance, those that will not spend an eternity with him. I just want to take a few moments and pray. If you've been coming here for any sort of time, you know that we spend a few moments in prayer every Sunday. 
dedicate a block of time to, to praying and uh, allowing God to speak to us, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to others through us, uh, really just dedicating ourselves to, to prayer. And so uh, if you would, just, just right where you are, just go and close your eyes. And here's what I want to do. In a crowd of this size, I feel like there are people, there could be people in this very theater that are fans of Jesus, fans of church, fans of God, even. But you might not really know him. You might not have a true relationship with him. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to say a prayer. Um, encourage all of you just to repeat this prayer. Maybe you've said this prayer a dozen times, a hundred times. Maybe this is the very first time you've ever actually said this prayer with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and you've actually meant it. And then I'm going to give you a further instruction, and we're going to do something uh, else right after that. And you got to understand that salvation is so much more than a prayer. It's so much more than any words you can recite. It is something that you can only, you can only, only do. It can only happen in your heart. It's something that you can only do with not, not head knowledge, not words, but a heart change. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and you just, you just pray along with me, and I'll give you further instruction. God, we believe in your son, Jesus Christ. We believe that he came and he died for us, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then took the weight of my sin on himself, paid the price, paid the penalty in full so that I could have eternal life. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me where I've failed. Make me a new creation in you, Lord Jesus. We're going to have a time of prayer now. If you, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, maybe you've, maybe you've been going to church for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe this is your very first day in church ever. And you prayed that prayer for the very first time. You actually meant it. You said a prayer when you were seven, but you're not sure if it even meant anything. But right now, you mean it in this very moment. I'm going to encourage you during this next prayer time, I would love to talk to you. I would love for you to come up and just talk to me. I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. I want to love on you a little bit. But here's what I want us to do. God, Jesus is weeping for the lost. He is weeping for those who don't know him. So here's what I want you to do. Right, right where you are, just kind of look to your left and right, make eye, eye contact with one or two people. And I want you to spend the next couple of minutes praying for a lost person in your life. Somebody that you know. You don't have to give their whole name. You can even give an alias if you're with people you know. You can say Bob, even though it's Tom. You can say Harry, even though it's Julie. Whatever you want to do. God knows the heart. He knows Okay, he knows the person on your heart. He knows the person on your mind. He knows the person he's placed in your path. All right, he knows what's going on. 
So let's spend a few moments and let's lift up these names to Jesus. Let's pray for the lost in our lives. Let's pray for the lost in this community. Let's pray for the lost in our families and in our neighborhoods. Let's pray that God would soften their hearts. Let's pray that God would use us and use other people to speak truth and life and love and would bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you're in here and you were lost when you came in these doors, but you've prayed a prayer and you want to talk to me about it, during this time, come up and see me. I want to talk to you. I want to pray for you. Let's spend a few moments in prayer. Go now. We're going to continue in worship in a few moments. You can keep praying. If, you, if you're still praying, don't let me stop you. God can hear you over me every day of the week. I want to encourage you in these next moments. We're going to, we're going to pray, uh, praise God some more with another song. We're going to continue to worship him. Uh, there is communion elements here in the middle. If you haven't taken communion and you feel like you want to do that here this morning, uh, this is a great day with a great message content for you to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on your behalf. So feel free to move back there and do that. And I will be in that middle section. I will be between the sections. If you want to come and talk and pray, but you don't want to be up here in front of the lights, you don't want anybody to see, that's perfectly fine. I'll be back there in the darkness of the middle section, so come find me. Uh, I'd love to talk with you. You can find me afterward. Um, listen, church, salvation doesn't happen just in a church building or a theater, as it were. Salvation can happen in a coffee shop. Salvation can happen on the on the floor of your bedroom. Salvation can happen in a car ride. Salvation can, deliverance can happen wherever because we serve a God that is everywhere, that is always, always, always looking out for us, wanting to be a part of our lives, wanting to love and care for us. Let's worship him together this morning.